Welcome to the Rodeo Kids Podcast. I'm your host, Camry Widmer, and today's guest is someone that I have thought about having on the podcast for a long time, and I finally asked him, and he was more than happy to share his knowledge and insight with us on the Rodeo Kids Podcast. Our guest today is Dave Moorhead from the Three Hills Ranch. This man is very diversified, but we know him well for his stock contracting and rodeo production at Three Hills Rodeo and the world's toughest rodeos all across the country. Dave has one of the biggest and best bucking horse strings and produces some of the coolest rodeos that you're going to find on. And today he joins us to share his story and give us some advice and some insight as to what it's like to be a producer, a stock contractor, and to be successful in the rodeo world. Now, let's get started with Dave Moorhead from the Three Hills Ranch. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. Welcome to the Rodeo Kids podcast. Hey, it looks cool. Thanks for being on the podcast. Of course, it's always fun to have these conversations. And we had Steve on um, a few months ago, and it's kind of fun because I get to ask you guys where you got started and learn all these things that we don't learn about just in the day to day. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. So my whole goal with this podcast is just to give kids some background as to how people got started and like that it's not cookie cutter. There's no one way to do it because everybody's got a story. So we just start at the beginning and I let you share your story as to how you got started in rodeo and what you're doing to begin with, like from childhood. Oh boy. Well, my child had had no involvement of rodeo other than my grandpa took me to a couple rodeos that were fairly local, Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, and one at Davenport, Iowa. When I would be probably in my early, you know, 12 to 14 sometime with my brother and sister. Anyway, always is intrigued by it um on grew up on a small iowa farm milk cows pigs beef cows and and uh dad wouldn't only let us go out for one sport per year so obviously it wasn't rodeo because that was summertime and there's no chance of going anywhere except to work in the summertime <laughs> yeah so we never high school rodeo never rodeoed as a, as a kid um a neighbor, his name is Leo Collins. He's passed away not very long ago. He started a lot of kids in our neighborhood rodeo, and they they'd always have steers to ride in a in an odd horse or two, and and they had some old beef bulls that they would ride, and they'd rope twice a week, and a lot of neighbors went there, and and I started going with another friend of mine, and got interested, started roping, rode a few steers a couple bulls and a few horses and always wanted to then when i got my own place we decided with my friend and yours john thomas said why don't you have a rodeo up there well that was in 1979 so when you had this rodeo were you competing in it or were you producing it i did but i also i don't know what i should say half-ass on the podcast <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> anyway kind of but it was a, 
it was a hillbilly affair. We, we built an arena out of telephone poles and old gates. And we, we built three wooden chutes and, and a set of grandstand. And, you know, it was, it was pretty rusty, but all the neighbors came and at, we had a grand old time. And we had one in the fall of 79 in the spring of 80. And then midsummer, we started going once a month. Okay. So in, in one of our barns, we concreted the floor and started having a barn dance with it. And it just grew from there. Every couple of months, I'd buy two or three horses out of the loose pen at Kelowna and, and fry them. And eventually got a few bucking horses put together. And then started raising some in, 80, in mid 80s and here we are so how old were you when you started getting involved mm. in rodeo well i'd have to have a calculator to figure that up but <laughs> I'm, I'm 67 and i started in 1979 so okay born in 55 and 79 it'd be about 22 okay so you were out of high school for sure oh yeah did you go oh, to yeah. college no, no, I had a, I had a full ride football scholarship and, and, uh, was all set to go. And about a week before I was ready to go to, uh, Iowa state, a neighbor come over and wanted to know if I'd work for him on the, on the farm there. And I got a hundred bucks a week and I worked from, uh, six days a week from six to six. And I thought that, and so I did that instead, and I've never, ever regretted it. I'm huh. glad I didn't have a nine-to-five job, or I'd probably still be there. That's what I tell myself, too. I haven't, knock on wood, haven't had to have a nine-to-five job yet. I graduated college and jumped right into the horse training, and then the pony yeah. thing, and now this, and never had a real job, per se. Yeah. Well, the non-real jobs, actually, you work harder than you do at a real job, without exception. But if you, you want to be successful and obviously you're very successful and probably using a lot of your college skills in your speaking and your data gathering and, and all how you know how to market where I wish I had those same skill sets that I never learned. Yeah. Well, and that is one thing I am fortunate. I went to school for a communications degree. So I do use degree on mm -hmm. a regular basis. So mm -hmm. It's not for everybody, and I don't think it needs to be for everybody, but it was for me, so it works out. Yeah. So when you went to those rodeos when you were a kid and you couldn't rodeo, like what was it that drew you to it? Like what made you decide that that was the path you wanted to go down? Uh, the interaction with the animals probably. Probably yeah. be the biggest thing. And then obviously the excitement that it created and you know, uh, I'd say that, you know, the, the glamour of that lifestyle, if that's quote unquote, mm -hmm. probably not near as glamorous as we believe that it is, <laughs> or the, the, the people did not evolve, but I, from, from childhood, I knew I'd be involved with uh, some type of animal agriculture. And this was, this is my niche. So what was your first big rodeo? After you did your backyard rodeos, how'd you progress from there? Well, we, we did that in an in a amateur association in Iowa here until uh, 
1984 and I applied for my PRCA card. And on the way to Oklahoma City, where I had to present myself and my case to the board of directors at that time, got in a car accident going around Des Moines. So I spent the next three months in the hospital and then that delayed it a year. So I didn't, I didn't get, didn't get going until 85 in the PRCA. Yeah. And I think the first pro rodeo we did was in Marengo, Iowa. Yeah. Maybe Marshalltown. I think Marshalltown and Marengo, but, and then of course we, the very first rodeo that we did that was mobile was Galena, Illinois at the Shenandoah Riding Center. It's a resort. And we started there in 1981 and been there until last year. Gotcha. Yeah. Been there quite a while. That's a nice facility. Yeah. Yeah. When you decided, like, that's got to be a pretty big jump to make going from amateur rodeos to pro rodeos. What made you decide to make that jump? Well, I knew I wanted to go to a higher level than where I my perception of the other people and you know my peers was content just to stay where they were and I always wanted to do better and uh, worked really hard at it but just starting from scratch in the rodeo business period was extremely scary everybody that I knew told me I'd go broke and and I I thoroughly believed in myself. I just too damn stubborn to admit it and kept at it until I needed to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. That's a lot of it. Just being stubborn enough to pretty much hard times. Well, it was one of the, one of the biggest struggles that you had getting started. Uh, Getting jobs that paid very much at all. When you're the new kid on the block, you know, people always say they want change but they really don't want to change because they don't want to change for the unknown. Mm-hmm. They'd rather deal with the devil they know than the devil they don't know. So that took, that took quite a while to get established to where I had credibility in the business and, and uh, financially strong enough to support a full, a full turnkey show for, for my customers. Yeah. And what do you consider as a turnkey show? Uh, you know, we, there's a probably half the road, maybe even more than half the events we go to, we do everything. They say, you know, we'll just say, uh, the Edgewood, you've been there, mm-hmm. Edgewood Chamber of Commerce. They come to me 30 some odd years ago and said, we want to have a rodeo. How much are you going to charge us? You do everything. We'll, we'll, we'll take tickets to sell beer and have the place. You bring all the personnel all the livestock all the equipment set it up with the prca just you do all that well that's that's what we probably do for the majority of ours you know we most of our committees are smaller and they would just assume we take care of everything for them yeah yeah to me that's a turnkey operation what makes you want to be more of a that turnkey operation where you're doing the producing the advertising the stock contracting all of that versus just being a stock contractor well it's like anything else the more risk you're willing to assume potentially the more reward Mm -hmm. and so so the 
the rodeos that we do for committee rodeos, we know what we're going to get in advance. You know that's what you're going to be. It's just like kind of going to a job. You just make wages. You know how much yeah. they're going to pay you for doing your job. But when you become an entrepreneur and you decide to take all the risk and market, you do everything from scratch, you take 100% of the risk, of course, you got 100% of the gain. And, and over time, learning that end of the business put us over the edge financially because we were able to capitalize on it by hard work. Of course, there were some growing pains and trial and error, and you don't hit a home run all the time. You don't always make the greatest decision, but you learn from those mistakes. And and uh, that's going away been uh, the greatest thing in our in our uh, business world here for us at Three Hill Rodeo. Yeah, well, and I love that about the more risk you're willing to take or the more risk you're willing to assume, you know, the better, the greater the return. And that's something that I don't think gets taught in schools today. You got to risk it to get the biscuit. That's, that's how right. It that's <laughs> right. You do. So you've been doing rodeos for a long time. And how many rodeos about a year do you do? Not as many as we once did. When yeah. we about 15 years ago, when we started underwriting some of these and producing our own events, we, uh, we cut back a little bit on how many events we did. We were doing 35 a year. And now, uh, 10, 10, about about 20 plus five or six leases that we do, like we're going to go to Cheyenne, Ogden, mm -hmm. San Antonio, Houston, those kind of places. Yeah. What keeps you going? Uh, being around young people. Keeps you with a young perspective on life. Whereas if I'd hung around with my own classmates forever, I did turn into an old fuddy-duddy like they are. <laughs> so when you're always, that's one of the biggest beauties of the rodeo world. You're always around young, energetic, optimistic people. And it wears, wears off on you. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it. You know, when I think of the old boys who sit around the elevator or the shop at night here mm -hmm. at home and just the farmers and it's all they do is not all they do, but they do a lot of sitting around gossiping and griping and stuff like that. And um, talk about what's wrong with them. Oh, my shoulder. I, I got surgery on this and yep. one thing and another. Yeah. Well, and you've got a young family that is very involved in it too. How do you keep your whole family involved like you don't hear about that many families anymore that are that immersed in it well i don't know just luck i think but and i'm guilty of this a lot of times and i don't take my own advice but you've got to let the next ones coming up you've got to be willing to let them make decisions that are gonna fail and if you don't they're never gonna make a decision Mm-hmm. And it makes them feel like they're a part of it. Well, they most definitely are because once they are ingrained, their decisions matter because it's the same thing. The more they do, the better they do, the more they make. And that's the way, you know, it's kind of an incentive program, but it's not an entitlement program. If, yeah. If I lose, they lose. So make sure we make as good as decisions of calculated risks yeah well and i don't think you really ever let anybody come by anything too easy well 
if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm too tough on them. I've had a ton of neighbor kids and friends' kids that spent three or four summers with us until they got old enough. And, and I've never had any complaints. All the ones I, that I know that stayed hooked have become successful in their own right, in their own businesses, whatever yeah. that is. So I don't know. I don't think I'm too hard. No, but it's always been uh, like when I look at my dad, you know, he always says work hard, play hard. That's true enough. And that's kind of, you know, growing up in that environment, obviously it's, that's what it was. You know, everybody's always working hard, but you're having fun while you're doing it. And afterwards, you know, it's, it's a good time. Everybody's enjoying each other. And that's if you enjoy it, it's not really work. Yeah. Yep. So how long have you and Marla been together? Oh boy. Since we were 14. Oh, wow. High school sweethearts. Yeah. Actually junior high sweethearts. Dang. We were, we were, we've been together since we were, we went to school together. We're just, she's three months younger than I am, but we've been together since we were both 14 years old. Okay. Did she rodeo at all? Nope. No. Grew up on a little hog farm in Eastern Iowa. And she fell in love with the sport or she fell in love with you first. So you both fell in love with the sport. I think we kind of grew into it at the same time, although she had no uh, really horse background or you know she was raised on a hog, on a hog farm mm -hmm. grain and hog farm so her and was very hands-on I mean they had farrowing to finish and and her and her three sisters being the farrowing house daily you know so not that they didn't have a great work ethic just in a little bit different direction yeah. so so she got I mean, she used to make, she worked full-time as a nurse for 29 years. Mm -hmm. And besides babysitting, secretary time and play music all at the same time, of course, we couldn't afford to hire individuals and make all the costumes and everything besides. So she kind of, she bought into a hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. She's very involved and, and still and, is. And had a good enough income that we could survive on that income day-to-day -day groceries and things until we could get the ball rolling a little better. Yeah. So you had some supplemental income. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's kind of like Rodeo Kids. The Performance Pony Company is a supplemental income for Rodeo Kids as we. Hey, you better be diversified in this whole world if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, and you're very diversified. What else do you have going on? Well, uh, my oldest grandson and I are pretty heavily into registered herefords. We sell bulls, keep about 250 registered cows. Uh, we had our first annual sale in uh, last October. It was successful due to, we had some marketing skills from doing rodeo, so it wasn't a totally... yeah green horn experience but we did great and we're moving on and and he's I mean he's 15 and he's he's taking over the registries and the mating decisions and doing really well mm -hmm. and then Lily my oldest granddaughter um her and I are partners in some racehorses so <laughs> did you then, are you getting into the barrel horse deal uh yes and no 
I've, I've got some They're I got three of them right now, the three-year-olds and they're, they're half racehorse bred and half, you know, one's out of JL Sirocco. I got one out of Magnum. I got one out of JL Sheriff, but mo they're all out of kind of racehorse type mares. Mm -hmm. And like all my brood mares, and I've got 10 brood mares, Lily and I do that are, they're all either have babies or in full to real racehorses, but the pedigrees because of again, diversification are all ones that the barrel racers love as well. Yeah. That's so, a good idea. Yeah. So you got two, two chances, two ways to go there. Mm -hmm. And, and I like, a, I've always liked a big soggy, good footed ranchy type horse. And that's, that's what my mares are. And those are the kind of racehorses that I like too. Well, and I, I, think those I like a winner. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are going to be really important too right now. It kind of seems like we're breeding the feet off of horses. At the mm -hmm. Getting some foot put back in them is really important. It is. Some foot and some bone. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's where I'm going with that. And, and you know, I've been over 40 years raising bucking horses and in the, in the cattle business and you know, we're, we're breeders, everything we raise everything. I mean, that's what I'd like. Mm -hmm. And the same, the same, it, all disciplines of animal husbandry is about the same. You breed the best of the best and you're going to get the best. Now you could change them with genetics, but structure, soundness, it doesn't matter if it's a cow, a pig or a horse. Without those, you have nothing else because they don't last. Yeah. And then, and then you've got that it's bad economics when they, you don't get any longevity out of them. Mm -hmm. How long does your average bucking horse last? Well, I just had one die three days ago. It was 27. Nice. Now and I was reading. She, Go ahead. Yeah. She could have, I could have still been using her, but I just, she hasn't. I haven't taken her for the past four years. Just she's, and there's, I mean, there's, I get looking around. There's quite a few here that's 20 plus. So yeah. How many do you have? Well, you typically keep about 250. 250. That's a lot of horses. It is. They eat a lot. Yeah. We, we, we got, we run 450 cows, 250 horses and about 20 head of saddle horses. And then a little handful of brood of quarter horse brood mares. That's a lot of feed. Yeah. <laughs> well, the management's you can make feed. The the juggling the management and making sure that they get every little piece of this pie gets the attention it needs is challenging. That's why I've got a lot of help on it. Although I've helped them start and make the really you know, at the end of the day, I get the final say, but I let them make decisions. Yeah, that's good. That's what a good manager does, right? They should. Should teach them how to be independent and figure things well, out on their own. And now the grandkids and my kids, all and the neighbor kids, they probably think I'm pretty bossy, but I'm really not. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're learning a lot along the way. Yeah. So when it comes to like a lot of these kids, one thing that we're trying to teach and, and educate these kids on is when they go places, 
being good stewards and explaining the sport of rodeo to people who are uneducated about it, uneducated about bucking horses and the livestock and all of that. And because there's a lot of misconceptions and like we've got some kids from California who are are protesting all of this boycotts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So what kind of advice and suggestions do you have for those kids? Uh, my best advice is to be transparent. Don't try to hide anything. If you're a good steward of animals, you're going to take care of them no matter no matter their value. And you, there's no reason to hide what you're doing with them because we have the best of care, the, the best facilities, the safest transport means. And there's no reason to hide from that. We're, we're very good animal husbandry people. Mm-hmm. You know, by and large, the rodeo industry in general is. And one thing I've always, and I guess maybe it resonates with non-knowledgeable, rodeo knowledgeable people more when they, it always kind of raises a question to me when they say, well, we're really taking so good care of these because they're so valuable. Well, to me, that's, that's true. But the, 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 the least valuable, most worthless scrub that I got is going to get the same care as my absolute best one. Because mm-hmm. So it's not about their value. It's about their worth as an animal. That's a very good point. I like that. I'm sure you have to deal with that conversation often in the places that you go. I mean, a lot of places you've been, you, you've gone year after year, but as mm-hmm. more and more people become less involved with agriculture, it's that much more educating that you have to do. It is. You have to spend a lot more time explaining and actually showing. And about oh, eight to 10 years ago, we started doing the thing at our, at our winter series. It's called the pre-show. And we open the gates an hour and a half early and let anyone that wants to come down on the floor. And actually they can go, they can go right up to the animals mm-hmm. and look at all of them, see the stuff and, and they see the flanks, they see everything about it. It's transparent. They can look right at them. And, and you wouldn't believe the comments you get. So, oh my God, this ain't nothing like I thought it was going to be. These things are look great and there's no marks on them. And that flank is all soft and it doesn't hurt anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, but because of the biased, uninformed and actual lies that the other side puts out there, people want to believe that. And, you know, if I think somebody's abusing an animal, that infuriates me Yeah, as it should. Mm-hmm. But you know what, what abuse is and what isn't. Yeah, we have, rules. we have rules at our barn that if anybody gets too aggressive with their horses, they have to get off and do jumping jacks and push-ups and run up and downs. And we don't, <laughs> we don't handle that. <laughs> I'll tell you a real quick, funny story. When Jake, I don't know if you remember Matt Williams, he's, he's the same age as Jake. Okay. A, 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 a kid that lived in town always wanted to, to farm and be out in the farm. And so I, uh, him and Jake were in FFA and they were probably sophomores in high school. And I co-signed a note for Matt and Jake both. They each got 10 cows and that was their project. 
And so they're, they, they got a new ag advisor, new teacher. And I didn't know, I had never met him yet. And it turned out to be the absolute greatest ag teacher I've ever met. But anyway, it was, it was about mid-March and the frost went out. And you know how soft the ground gets in, in eastern Iowa? I mean, it, your, your horses are cut into their knees and right. for a few days there. So I'm driving down the road and I see three guys on horses and they're loping up this hill. And I pull up along the road, gravel road, and here they come right up to the fence. And I mean, they're foamed up and huffing and puffing hard. And these horses are all sweaty and they're still long haired. It was Jake and Matt and this other guy. So I said, and I was pissed off. I said, tie them horses up, get your butts down the hill and run back up here. The same distance you just run. And they all bailed off and did it. And because they could see it, I was really <laughs> PO'd. And they got up there, of course, they're in a dead lather. They, they're winded and all sweated up. And they got, they said, see how that feels when there's no reason to do that? Yeah. And the one guy said, boy, I can really see that. I was, it was their new ag teacher. They said, this is Mr. Retallick. Oh, my God. <laughs> he bailed off and did it with them. I thought it was just some other kid. He just fresh out of college. And he never forgot that. And, and he, he used that in, you know, teach it at other times and watch yeah. what you do because think about it you know and that that it was really funny yeah but it was embar it's really embarrassing so oh my god i just done this to the teacher <laughs> <laughs> well hey it all worked out in the end yeah. everybody needs a lesson to learn sometimes yeah yeah it's been fun we have all the kids and the parents sign a contract when they start lessons that says if you whine if you complain if you do anything we're we're physical exercise with it and there's a level of discipline for any animal you know to be respectful but then Absolutely. there's also but it's respect it's a respectful discipline not abuse there's a big difference yeah. sure. and humans and animals alike yes yep i use the example a lot like what happens if you talk too much in class what do you have to do you run. So like in that yeah. sense, you know, you can, you can use your horse to the point where they learn the lesson, but that's enough. See, I always use dancing. I always give them dancing lessons if they misbehave. Dancing lessons? That's what we always call it. Even my, my youngest grandkids, their three-year-old knows what a dancing lesson is. Yeah. <laughs> never heard that, but I'll never yeah. forget it. <laughs> <laughs> So you are now on the board of directors for the PRCA, right? Yes. Yeah. And what all does, what does the PRCA, you know, some of these kids, a lot of these kids want a pro rodeo and, and all of that. Like, how do they get involved in that? Well, it's, it's not a secret, but it's kind of, they really don't know. And, and we want to develop ways to make it very easy for them to to join and enter and that's a work in progress we've been we've been kind of on top of that you know we we three hills themselves have done a permit session where we call it a free ride thing and we have a free buck out and it's but it's only for the rough stock events so mm -hmm. but usually that's where we struggle for membership more than any other thing and we have a free school, get on all they want, everything free of charge. And we pick out five kids and everything and we pay for their permits and pay their entry fees at Three Hills Rodeo. Well, this year we did that same thing in Benita, Oklahoma, 
and in the in November, and we had uh, 38 kids sign up and bought their permits and and uh, expanded that to 30 on the entry fee pays. That's awesome. PRC, yeah, it is, but the PRCA funded that part of it. Okay. Not the entry fees, but all the permits and insurance. Gotcha. So that was a great step. We've been doing rodeo camps and things, that, and basically all that does is create a little bit of awareness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't address kids that are of an age where they're ready to go rodeoing. Yeah. And we're not doing a great job of keeping the young newbies, let them get started at the level that doesn't ruin them for life. Although most of them, the second they start going, they want to go to every butt heads with the, with the Tim O'Connells of the world, you know, and, right. and we, we, we're trying to get a program to educate our permit guys and find places for them to go with others at their same level. So they don't get, you know, the cream always going to rise. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of them that have made it just out of sheer will and determination, but there's also a pile that drop out. Yeah. And we we're, we we we're working to try to figure out ways to to keep that from happening near as much. Yeah. So I, I you know I as far as how a newcomer can get into the PRCA, our website is I feel is pretty informational now and easy to navigate because I can do it. So I know that any kid <laughs> could do it really easy. And, yeah. I, and I think it, it's, it tells a lot of that. Yeah. So when you were talking about button heads with Tim, like you've been very instrumental in bringing him up in three Hills rodeo, like what are some of the things that Tim has done to allow him to shine? Like he does natural ability. And then the will to prepare to be a champion that's there's everybody wants to be a winner few are willing to prepare to be a winner mm -hmm. and winner. the first year his, his rookie year i mean it was obvious he had amazing talent mm -hmm. the first year they tore him to pieces and he wasn't physically or mentally prepared well yeah he decided that he was going to get there and did. And then the rest is history. And so, but that, that level ain't for everyone. I mean, it, you know, it, it's okay to rodeo for fun and hopefully yeah. a little profit. It, you don't, everybody don't have to be at that level. It's no different than football, basketball, wrestling, or volleyball. There's, a, you know, there's a place for all of us. And, and I think, the PRCA as a whole has been less inviting of the lower tier than they are of the, the top guys don't need no help. Right. The ones working their way to the top need some help. So yeah. that's, that's kind of where I'm at with, you know, my direction on the board. And when we have those discussions, that's, you know, I'm not maybe smart enough to figure out a great program to get that implemented but there's another guy on our team named Steve Gander that is so. Yeah. And, 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 and other board members are great too. So they're, we are working on it. Yeah. That's good. Just from like, based on past experience and like, not even from a board member's perspective, but just from your experience, if the kid were in high school right now, 
or college looking to get into it, what advice do you have for them? I would advise them to go get their permit and start going to their circuit rodeos and stay on that level till they see what they want to do and see where their talent level is. And of course, some will progress faster than others, but there's, there's nothing wrong with staying on the circuit level with your own kind of guys or girls until you see where you're at and then work your way up for the bottom. Don't in today's world, we all want to start at the top or you, you know, yeah. you know, kids want to start where their parents left off. And that's, that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, and it's no different in the rodeo world. But my advice would be to buy your permit. The PRCA is undoubtedly the greatest rodeo organization in the world. It's the fairest. It's the least biased of all of them. And of course, anything that's human opinion is going to be just that human opinion as far as judging and things goes. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's the best one we got in the prices. I think a lot of young people are scared that, oh my God, everything's high price and you can't win and you can't, you know, all those have, you know, you go to $200 added at it or amateur rodeo it costs you basically the same dang amount of money as you can go to a $2,000 one. Yeah. So, I mean, and half the time you're competing against mostly the same, the same guys anyway. Mm -hmm. So why would you choose to stay down at that level? I mean, buy your permit and go, go to them on the circuit level and see where you, where the chips fall. Yeah. And then work your way up to the top after that. Mm Mm-hmm. And with your school, and so you explain that buck out. Do you have a, a camp first and then the buck out? No, we, I don't really want to call it a school because it's not per se a school. Okay. But we always have, you know, Wade Sundell comes, mm-hmm. Tim O'Connell, uh, this is, I mean, Tanner Ross have been there, uh, BJ Scott. I mean, there's always some of the great guys that show up mm-hmm. and then they, you know, there's kids that have never been on nothing in their life and they'll help them fix their equipment. And we'll, <coughs> they'll, excuse me, they'll, them guys are there to critique the ride and give them tips and everything, but they're not, and they're no charge for any of that, but it's not really a, I shouldn't have called it a school because it's not, it's a learning experience, but it's yeah. not per se a school. Right. And then I don't personally select the five that we award the permits to. I let, the guys like Tim or BJ or Biscuit or Fred's been there, that's your, you know, some of them guys. And I said, you, you pick out five kids that look like they're going to have the desire to try. I don't care if they're the most talented ones there. That's mean to me. That's meaningless. Mm-hmm. I want ones that are going to represent our sport by being a good person and going to have the desire to, have some grit and try and that, that's all I care about it's not necessarily the pick the best guy there you know so that that's yeah. where we've been with that and anybody that's interested like can anybody get in that or do you have a- to call anybody, ahead no well they call ahead and we haven't put it up on our website yet I think it's I just talked to court and I, I want to say it might be like the second of June or in that time frame there sometime. Okay. 
but it's on your and website. It will be as soon as we got a date. Right. But any anybody in, from anywhere. Is there an age? Not, yes, we've they've had to be 18, you know, okay. to be able to sign their own, uh, you know, right. they got to be of legal age. Yeah. And is, is it the same deal that you do in Oklahoma? That, there, we actually had some down to 16. They had a little different insurance thing, and they had they had to have a parent there willing to with them and sign for them and, and stay there with them. Gotcha. But similar setup with the, the buck same, Yep. Same thing. Yeah. Get on as many or as few as you want to. You know, we're there to help them. Um, after obviously most of them are colts, but mm -hmm. once we kind of sort the wheat from the chaff, then we'll bring in some kind of mid-level ones that they can actually see what they can do on them. Yeah. For a kid that's wanting to just for the very first time get on a bucking horse and they can't maybe come to Iowa or Oklahoma, what do you recommend they do? Well, uh, that bar boys and i think they're goodwill they're yeah. great about they they have steers there and and levels for younger guys and even guys that have never been on nothing to get on those that just hop down through there and they can mm -hmm. get rhythm see what the rigging is or a saddle uh even someone put a bull rope on them you know if they think and kind of start at you know you don't want to kill somebody off the first time they try it Right. So, and and the, the good thing about when we start, they're like them two or three year old colts. And although some of them really buck hard, they're not really strong where they just jar the crap out of you. They're, you know, they're most of it squealing and they, yeah. they, it scares them a little bit because the noise and they're a little bit more rambunctious in the shoots, but they, they can't hurt them like an old campaign and hard knocker can. Right. They don't have the muscle strength or no. the knowledge or the pattern yep. or any of that quite yet. And it's hard to get the mothers to believe that, but that's the facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were some boys that did a podcast from Colorado and they're bareback riders. And they said, you no, know, we just told our moms, you might as well quit fighting us because we're going to do it regardless. <laughs> so you can do it with, we can do it with your support or we can do it without, but we're going to yeah. do it either way. And you know, if you can support them and if just get them somewhere, it's worth it to pay the money to go somewhere mm -hmm. like your buck out or to Et Bowers or yep. to take the time to travel to wherever it is that your kids are going to get started safely, correctly with educated people to mentor you through the, the process. Ab absolutely. I mean, I, I can't stress that enough to have someone there that is knowledgeable to take the, a little bit of time to help you start. Yeah. Overall, what is one of um, what is one mistake that you see people see and people make in the rodeo industry that could be avoided from the contestant level? Yeah, trying to go to the bigger rodeos when you're not ready yet. Mm -hmm. I think that's deterred more people, discouraged more people than anything else. You know, if you're you have to be honest with yourself to know. Once you get where you're starting to do good, then they, I think I can go give some guys, then do it. But be honest with yourself to see where your skill levels are before you just go throw your money away. 
Well, your skill level and your finances, because it costs yeah. a lot to go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So for parents, you've probably seen a lot of parents through the years. What mm -hmm. advice do you have for them? Well, it depends on the parents. Now, almost without exception, the parents that don't have hardly any knowledge of rodeo are the most vocal. The ones that, that did it themselves and, and was either whether they were good at it or not, at least have general knowledge and they're they pretty much quiet about things if there's a they see an instructor there that they know is knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. The parents that want their kid to do something that they've never either had a chance to do or didn't want to do, and they want, I mean, they should defer to someone, in my opinion, with more experience and knowledge than what they have, and don't force your kids to do stuff that they don't feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Yeah, and be curious. You know, just I think that that's true for anything, you know, the people mm -hmm. who are least educated, but maybe most interested at the time have a lot. And there's a, a small rodeo associate or a rodeo company in Iowa right now that's going through some turmoil. And uh, you hear a lot of people who have opinions on stuff, but they're not asking questions. They're just jumping to assumptions and then putting it out there. And if we would ask more questions first and be curious about the process, they learned that like there was one girl who she was uh, at the top of the list to be at the their invitational rodeo that they're going to have. But then she got vocal about something she wasn't educated about. And now she's not on the list at all because. That, thus invitational that implies that it's an invite. It's not a privilege. Right. So yep. if you're not, if you don't shut your mouth and behave, then you, get, you don't get to go. <laughs> Well, yeah. And you know, that's, that's anything when wanting to have rules passed or opinions heard or anything, mm -hmm. just, you know, be, be conversational and open and willing to learn instead of entitled and opinionated. Have um, a little bit of flexibility to you and some dip diplomacy instead of. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. probably guilty of being a one way or a lot about a lot of things, but I try to remain open-minded. Does it get easier? It's been easier for me to be non-judgmental and open-minded than it used to be. I finally learned that the world is gray. It's not black and white. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not as opinionated and not as judgmental as I probably used to be. Yeah. My sister, Kelly, uh, my niece, my nephew's pretty black and white, like right mm -hmm. from wrong, good from bad, yes and no. But my niece is a little bit more of a free spirit. And she said one day, she said, she's learning how to navigate the gray area in life. <laughs> well, that don't change right and wrong because that's pretty well cut and dried. Right. But there's more than one way to skin a cat. And, there, and a lot of people got varying opinions how to accomplish the same task. And I didn't mean that, I didn't mean to say that, I mean, right and wrong's pretty black and white. Right. Oh, definitely. But there's a lot of gray area and how to get to either one of them. Mm-hmm. You bet. There definitely is. What about okay? So let's go back to the kids just for overall life advice and like if they want to get into business or a rodeo or whatever. What have you learned that you would want to share with them as we close this up? Well, I always defer to my granddaddy. He always said, work hard and save your money. 
Good if you advice. work hard, you're going to play hard. If you're thrifty and save, you'll, you'll, you'll go on to do great things. Yep. You'll be able to invest and diversify. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Was there anything else that you would like to share today on this podcast for uh, the rodeo kids of the world? Well, I think I've run my mouth about enough, probably for one day, for one sitting. <laughs> yes. Well, I appreciate you being on the show and um, I think there's a lot of good advice and stuff for kids to kids to hear and parents to hear. And we'll put some stuff when you get that date, we'll advertise that to get some kids okay. to the buck out, hopefully. Thank you today for taking the time out of his day to talk about rodeo and life and sharing his advice on his experiences with Three Hills Rodeo Company. If you are a saddle bronc rider or bareback rider interested in the spring buckout or the clinics and opportunities that we talked about today and more, you can check out threehillsrodeo.com. We will also be posting more information about that as we get it on the Rodeo Kids Facebook and Instagram pages. We know that Dave and the Three Hills Rodeo Company crew is all about making your dreams come true and continuing to grow this business and create opportunities for youth in this industry to keep it rolling. So stay posted, give them a like and follow on Instagram, look at their schedule and attend one of their rodeos if they're coming to a town near you. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Share this podcast with anybody who can benefit from it, and we will see you down the road. Good luck, safe travels, and God bless.